next Wednesday. And uh, hopefully be done then with the book of Joshua. And I hope you've been as blessed by this as I have as well, too. Let's go ahead and give it over to the Lord, and we'll jump right in. Lord, as always, you taught it, you wrote it, it is your words. And I just pray, Lord, that now we would have ears to hear what you're saying, not only to hear it, but to apply it in your name. Amen. We're reaching the end here of the book of Joshua. Chapters 13 on have been the allotment of the land. The first 12 chapters took about five to seven years. And that was the chapters where they were battling and taking over the promised land through just the power of God. That's where you had the battles of Ai and Jericho that we're very familiar with. But from chapter 13 on, it's the allotment of the land. And this took years, possibly decades to do. As we now reach the end in Joshua 23, Joshua knows that his time is short. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies. Round about that, Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for the elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. We know next chapter that Joshua dies at the age of 110. And he is that transition. He was one that came out of Egypt. So he saw the plagues. He saw the Pharaoh. He saw the army destroyed in the Red Sea. And yet he had this very special privilege. If you remember going back to our first study in Joshua, this man is an amazing man of God. He got to go on the mountain with Moses when he received the law. He was Moses' assistant, right-hand man. He led the nation as a military general in his 70s. And also here you see him now leading the nation, if you will, as the political leader. So he's reaching the end. He knows death is coming. And so he wants to do in Joshua 23. This seems to be the message to the leadership. Then in Joshua 24, it's the message to the people. So really the last two chapters are Joshua's farewell address to the nation and to the leadership. And like I said, he dies at 110. So he's very advanced in age. And he knows his time is short. Now, this is obviously spirit-led. But at the same time, you see his heart. And what I love about this, some of the themes that he brings up, he brought up 30 years earlier at the beginning of the book of Joshua. And you see the consistency of God. So let's see what he has to say here at the end, verse 3. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I've cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land, as the Lord your God promised you. Keep it simple. Take a look at verse 3. You've seen all the Lord your God has done to all these people. So the first point is God did everything. He did everything. He did all the fighting. For as God is he who fought for you. Think back to our story of the battle at Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. What did the nation of Israel do? They marched for seven days. That's what they did. And they marched quietly for the first six. And the seventh day, they marched seven times and yelled and screamed and the walls come down. God did all the fighting. This, this is an army that's not an army. This is an army of a second generation group of slaves. God did all the fighting for them. And what a great reminder in verse 3. The Lord your God has done to all these nations. A dangerous place to be is when we start thinking we figured it out. Dangerous place to be is where we start realizing, oh, I can do this now on my own. That is so dangerous. One of my favorite verses is at the end of the book of Proverbs, where it says that surely I am more stupid than any other man. And there's wisdom in that. There's wisdom in realizing you don't know it all and you can't do it. And I hope we never lose that wisdom to the day we die, that it's always God doing everything. But when things are going well and we're tasting success, maybe at work or spiritually at home, whatever, we have a tendency to start thinking it's us. 
Joshua's first point, God did it all. So never forget that. God did it all. And his next point, verse 4. He's divided the land. I have given to you by the lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all these nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. So he's divided the land. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you. So the first point is verse 3. God did it all. The next point, verse 5, is God will do it all. That's future tense. We don't have to do it. God will expel them before you. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to carry that burden? I mean, I love that phrase of Christ on the cross where he said, it is finished. It's done. It's completed. I don't have to work for my salvation. I don't have to earn my salvation. It is done. It's completed. He's going to take care of it. Same thing happens now. There's a problem that I'm facing. You know, God, how are you going to deal with this? Because it's not my problem, Lord. It's your problem. I'm your son. And as your son, no one wants to mess with my dad. And so therefore, Lord, how are you going to take care of this problem? Because I trust you that, verse 5, the Lord your God will expel them. So does that mean I just get to sit there, twiddle my thumbs? I don't have to go out and work because I just pray for the food to show up at the door. I don't have to pay my bills because I just pray that the money shows up. Well, take a look at the rest of verse 5. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land. See, God does the expelling and I do the possessing. He does ask me to do something. He just does all the heavy lifting for me. See, just think about this. This is is a theme in the Bible that you see God does all the heavy lifting and we just get to come in and take care of it afterwards. I mean, we have a responsibility with it, but the Lord that does it. See, it says in 2 Timothy 3.15, one of my favorite verses, Be diligent to show yourself an approved workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. I have a responsibility to study God's word. I have a responsibility to understand it, to learn it, to memorize it, to apply it. But if you're like me, that's not your strength. So I have a responsibility to put the effort into it, but guess what God does? See, he promises in John 14.26 that through the Holy Spirit, he'll bring to remembrance all the things that he said. He'll bring to remembrance everything I need to know. So when I get up in the morning and I do devotions, I'm coming with an open heart, saying, Lord, lead me, guide me, speak to me. I like that. I'm going to mark it. I'm going to underline it. Oh, I like that. I'm going to make a note in my notebook. And I'm going to put some effort into that to pray over it, to memorize it, to study it, and to apply it. But really, when push comes to shove, it's the Holy Spirit that says, Now, James, I'll take all that that you have there, and now I'm going to use it. It's an amazing thing that the Lord does. He does all the work for us. He's just looking for a willing servant. And he's asking you to do one thing. Can you just do the end of verse 5? As the Lord your God promised you? Can you just trust his promises? Because his promises don't fail. Keep your hand here. We're coming right back to it. Just jump back to Joshua 21 real quick. Joshua 21. Take a look at 43 with me. 43 through 45. So Lord God, excuse me, the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelled in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. I love that. I'm telling you right now, if you are in a season of darkness right now, a season of doubt... And you just sang, good, good father. And as you're singing it, you're going, I really don't know. This is the verse for you. Take Joshua 21, 45, write it out, stick it on your fridge. 
Take some dry erase marker, put it on your bathroom mirror so that way you see it every morning. If you're really, really struggling, put it in permanent marker on your bathroom mirror. Put it where you're going to see it and you're going to pray over it and you're going to hear it. Because look at that word one more time, verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel came to pass. Not a word failed of any good thing. Now, if you're here tonight and you're saying, yeah, that's not true. You've got to remember our key thing, verse 45. You heard me say this many times. Your definition of good is different than God's definition of good. See, there's things that happen to my life that I don't deem good. And God says, yeah, but James, they are good. It's doing more than what you could realize. And there's things in my life that I think are good. And it's like, Lord, keep that going. God's like, yeah, you don't realize that that's not good. I also have to trust his definition of good. So come back now to Joshua 23. So look at his first three points. God did it. God will do it. And God keeps his promises. That's all we need to know. God does it, all of it. God will keep doing it. And God keeps his promises. And he reminds us of it. Jump ahead to verse 14 of the same chapter. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass, for not one word of them has failed. Great verse right there. God did it. God will do it. God keeps his promises. That's the foundation of his farewell speech that we're now going to go into detail with here for the rest of it. Any quick questions, comments about any of this as we get to the final two chapters here of Joshua, just to make sure we're all on the same page. We're good? All right. See what God has in store. So, verse 6, therefore, and remember when you see therefore, you need to be reminded of why it's therefore. He's made his introduction Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Now, I'm going to stop right there because that verse is vital. Keep your hand here. Go back with me to the beginning of Joshua, Joshua 1. This should be very familiar to you. Joshua 1. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. You're supposed to keep it. Depending on your translations, you're supposed to cleave to it. You're supposed to cling tightly. That verse should be very familiar to you, because look at Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, we talked about this a lot. When we first did our introduction into Joshua, we talked about how constantly Joshua was being told to not be afraid. And why is he being told to not be afraid? Because he was afraid. Here he is, this man is probably in his 70s, getting ready to lead this nation that has a bit of a rebellious streak, going into this mountainous area where there's going to be battles fought, they're not militarily trained, and God says, no fear. Isn't it fascinating now that maybe 20, 30 years later, what's Joshua's words of wisdom? He just repeats what God told him 20, 30 years earlier. And that's all he did. He just basically repeats verse 8. The book of law shall not depart from your mouth. He comes back and says, hey guys... Be very courageous to keep and do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses. Do it. Same thing is true for us today. The longer I walk in the Lord and the more I teach, the more I realize I just got to keep telling people to be in the word. God's word does not return void. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. It does not return void. It completes the purpose that was sent. So that means when I get up in the morning and I am half asleep, And the first thing I do in the morning 
is put my glasses on. I love Jesus, but I can't see without my glasses. So the first thing I do is put my glasses on. And then I grab one of the devotionals I have beside the bed, and I start my day out right there. And there's some times where I'm reading that and I'm thinking, that's amazing. And you just feel this spark. And you're like, I'm ready to take on the world today. And there's other times you read it and I'm like, I, I don't know what I got out of that. But it's fascinating. Some of those devotionals that I read that I don't know what I got out of it, I find myself later on that day telling somebody, you know, I read something this morning that is really applying to what you're going through right now. And next thing you know, I'm making a copy of it, and I'm handing it out to them, or I'm, or I'm texting it to them, or I'm repeating it. And God says, James, I gave it to you to give to someone else. And I see this with Joshua. Joshua is just repeating what God gave him 20, 30 years earlier. But Joshua was diligent enough to listen and to obey and to do it. And look at this. Once again, verse 6. The book of the law of Moses. Do you know what that was at this time? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but those aren't the most five powerful books of the Bible to really grow in your walk in relationship with Christ. Unless you want to know what to do if your ox gores a man. That's really important in the book of Leviticus. But it shows the power of God's word. Because what happens is, when you're in the Word, when you take the time, you make the time, and you stop and you say, Lord, I believe this is important, and this is so important to me that I'm going to start my day out with this. God honors that. He's already promised you in Isaiah 55 that His Word will not return void. He promised you that. And we just read how God keeps His promises and they don't fail. That's the most fruitful thing you could do all day is be in the Word. The most fruitful thing you can do is right there, is to take some time and say, Lord, I want to spend time with you. I want to be in the word with you. And we're going to build on this point a little bit more later. His word is so powerful. If you're a note taker, you can write it down. Psalm 138, 2. Psalm 138, verse 2. Great verse. God honors his word above his name. Now think about the name of God. When Jesus was being arrested in the garden, and they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? Do you remember his response? He said, I am. And when he said, I am, do you remember what happened? Knocked down all the Roman soldiers. Because at that brief moment, Jesus was allowing the power of his name to go out. I am. What do we know from the book of Philippians? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are no atheists in hell. Everybody in hell will understand and know who God truly is. It's the truth. And God says, hey, guess what? You know how powerful my name is? I honor my word above my name. That's an amazing statement. So when you think about how much God honors his word, I tell you, get into it. You will be blessed. Now, God loves you and I love you. Don't sit here and say, I wish I had more time. That's a bunch of baloney. You got the time. We just don't make the time. And I'm not saying this in some type of legalistic have to. I just want to encourage you to say, it's worth it. One of the things I'm always trying to train my kids is this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. He already loves you the most he can love you. If you spend all day in prayer and fasting in the word, it's not that God's going to love you more. Because he can't love you more than when he loves you now. But think of the flip side. If I go all day without praying, fasting, and being in the Word, is God going to love me less? No. So, 
if being in the word doesn't get more blessings, favor, or love, why would I do it? Aren't you so thankful you have a God that just loves you? But the point is, the way we respond to his love is wanting to know about who he is and spending the time with him. And how do we spend time with him? God's word. You know, if you want to know what God is speaking to you, read the Bible. Because that's how he has chosen to speak to you. You know, I've heard somebody say this one time, and I'm going to probably butcher the quote a little bit. But somebody asked a pastor saying, have you ever heard God speak? And the pastor says, I heard God speak every day. He goes, you do? He goes, yeah, every time I read the Bible, I hear God speak. And the guy goes, no. I mean, have you ever heard the audible voice of God? The pastor said, I always hear the audible voice of God. You do? He goes, yeah. Every time I read the Bible out loud, I'm hearing the audible voice of God. Because that's how God speaks. John Corson has a really neat point about this, about spending time. And it goes along with this. It says, how can we love God? By spending time with him. It's real simple. If you spend time with the Lord tomorrow morning, you will become intrigued by him and experience intimacy with him. It's all about time. After all, if you spend five minutes every third day with your wife, what kind of marriage will you have? If you spend 10 minutes every fifth day with your girlfriend or boyfriend, what kind of relationship will you have? Friendships are formed over time. I'm not talking about a legalistic Pharisee schedule. I'm talking about saying, I have a half hour open here or 20 minutes there. I don't need to watch that show or read that magazine. Maybe I'll just go for a walk with my Bible and talk to the lover of my soul. Do this and you will be amazed by the things he'll whisper in your ear. The things he'll speak to your heart. The way the word will come alive. And that's just the truth. We have the time. If we take the time and invest it, God honors it. I'm telling you right now. Very few things in life have a true 100% guarantee. God 100% guarantees his word will not return void or empty. If you take the time with an open heart and open ears and say, Lord, I want to grow and go deeper, you will be blessed by it. And that blessing may be for you personally to grow deeper in the Lord, or it may be the blessing that you get to pass on to somebody else. God honors it. And that's what I love about Joshua's advice right here. He tells him in verse 6, get in the word, folks. And as you get in the word, next thing he tells him is separate from the world. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Get in the word and separate from the world. Verse 7, unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Hold fast, cling to it, tightly cleave to it. Cling to God. And verse 7, get away from the world. Now be careful with that. This is not go live in a monastery. This is not go buy some property in the south on a hill and never talk to a single person again and build your little house and wait for the return of Jesus Christ. That's not what we're saying. We're supposed to separate from the world. As Christians, we should be different in how we speak and how we act and how we live. We sh- there should be a difference in us and all that we do and say. That's what the word saint means. Saint means to be separated from. Still go to work and witness with them. Still witness to your unsafe friends and family members. Witness to your neighbors. Represent Jesus Christ in all your conversations. But realize you are called to a different standard of how you live. And that's exactly what's saying here in verse 7. Don't be among the nations. Don't even be among the nations. Take a look at verse 7. You should not make mention of the name of their gods. 
I was going through devotions the other day and found a verse similar to that in Exodus uh, 23. Same concept, where God says, don't even mention their names. That's crazy. Where God says, don't even think about them, don't even talk about them. You know, Paul talks about this in the New Testament. It's Ephesians 5.12. Ephesians 5.12. He says, for us as believers, it's shameful for us to speak of what the world does in darkness and private. And I think we're guilty of this sometimes as a body of Christ in the world. We hear about the world's doing and we come together as Christians and say, did you hear what they did? Did you hear what's going on? Did you hear this? And we start talking about what they're doing in darkness. Paul says it's a shame to even talk about it. Guess what? The world is acting like the world. Isn't that what the world is doing? The world is acting like the world. That should not shock us nor surprise us. You've heard me say this many times before. If you come in to me and you start talking about this co-worker or this whatever, and they're a real difficult person to be around, and I'll usually say, are they saved? And you'll say, no, of course not. So I'll say, okay, so a non-believer is acting like a non-believer. That's what they do. The ones that frustrate me are the ones that claim to be Christians that aren't acting like Christians. But non-believers act like non-believers. The world acts like the world. And Paul says, don't even talk about it. It's a shame. Back here in Joshua, Joshua says, don't even mention their gods. What are we supposed to do? Verse 8, hold fast to the Lord your God. Talk about him. Do we really need to tell another story about what another famous person in this world did that's just wrong? No, let's just talk about what Jesus did. Do we need to talk again about what's going on in some other part of the world and I can't believe they're doing that and that's just despicable and gross? I'm sure it is. Let's talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives right here, right now. Let's talk about him. Verse 9, for the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. So you don't have to worry about being a military strength, Israel. Because I'm on your side. And you know what? That's still happening today. Go back and just uh, read some of the history of the last uh, wars that Israel has been in since they became a nation in the late 40s. You're going to read some stories about one man chasing a thousand. Still happening today. I think we forget Romans 8, 37. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So many of us Christians walk around in this defeatist mentality. Oh, woe is me. How awful my life is and whatever. I'm like, what? You're a son of God. You've inherited all the riches and glory of heaven. God is your dad. And if you even want to go deeper, he's your brother, he's your friend, and he's also going to be your spouse. We can talk about that one later. But you've got a real close connection with him. Why are we walking around in this defeatist mentality? Because what God is telling me in verse 10, one of you is going to chase a thousand. We are victors in Christ. That's why we sing victory in Jesus. And I look at verses 9 and 10. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. There's our word again, promised. And I, and I catch myself doing this, and this is something I just chew on. If I'm out like mowing, and so I don't have my phone with me, and I'm just kind of maybe listening to some you know, music, some worship or something, I just stop and think, God, what could you do with one man that was just completely sold out for you? If you just were just that person just said, I, I, I'm done living for me. It's all for you. And I just think, what could he do with that? Because I see what he does with all these bums in the Old Testament. I see what he does with all the bums in the New Testament. And I see what he does with all of you guys here. I didn't call you bums, note that. 
And I see what he does with me. I'll call myself a bum. I see what the Lord does. I'm like, and I'm a sinner. I'm awful. And I just think, what would happen if there was that one person that just said, I died to myself, Lord. And I'm just really all yours. Because he can do so much with so little. I mean, go back to the, to the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. The disciples, oh, we got us some loaves and fishes. Jesus said, that's all I need. Faith of a mustard seed. What would happen if we just lived for him? Now we're to our next therefore. So our first thing was, God did it all. God will do it all. God keeps his promises. The next point was then, get in the word, separate, get in the word, get out of the world. So in the word, separate. Realize that you are more than a conqueror in the Lord. So now here's our next therefore, verse 11. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. How simple is that? He's just saying, love me. Now, this is not some desperate junior high, love me. This is God saying, this is the best thing for you. It's for you to love me. I think we misunderstand that, that verse where it says that God is a jealous God. This is not like God looking over his shoulder or saying, I can't believe you're talking to somebody else. No. This is a God that says, I love you so much. I want what's best for you. I am jealous for you. I want the best for you. Joshua sums up our relationship with God so simple in verse 11. Just love him. Jesus does the same thing. Can you go with me real quick, please, to Matthew 22? Matthew 22. To just love him. You know, here in Matthew 22, Pharisees come up and they kind of ask him a loaded question. What's the greatest commandment? Now, supposedly there's 613 unique rules and laws when you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 613. So it's just kind of a setup question. It's like somebody come up and asking me, which kid do you love the most? The thing is, I tell my kids which one I love the most. If we're in a room, and uh, I shouldn't be saying this, but if we're in a room and all the boys are in there, and I'll say, hey, I need someone to um, take the food garbage out. And let's say Kenan gets up to do the food garbage. Say, Kenan, I love you the most. I don't like them. So... I don't even know why I'm telling you that, so just let that go. But uh, I love the one the most that's the most obedient at that moment. I'll tell you that. God, right here in verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? It's a setup question. Look how Jesus answers this. I just love watching Jesus respond to setup questions. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You've heard me say this before. Jesus just summarized four books of the Bible into two verses. Love God, love your neighbor. That is the simplicity of Christianity. Please don't complicate something that God has tried to make so simple. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, he has made a one-way street to heaven through Jesus Christ. Yes, that means we don't believe that the other faiths can save you. We believe it's Christ and Christ alone. Because Jesus made it so simple. When Jesus said, when somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Hey, love God, love your neighbor. Why why are we overcomplicating this? So do I love you, Lord, verse 37, with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind? Do I love him with all my heart, my, my emotions? 
what I am, my being, do I desire God with all my soul? Do I desire him to look towards eternity, not build my little kingdom here? And with all your mind, is this what I think about? Or am I thinking about me? Thinking about my next dream, my next aspiration, my next thing that I want. Or thinking about how everybody's hurt me, wronged me, and oh, woe is me. No, my mind is on Him. That's what it means to love Him. My mind's on Him. My eternity is focused on Him. My emotions are focused on Him. And then I take that and I say, now I'm going to go love my neighbor. And then when Jesus asked him, who's your neighbor? Jesus basically said, everybody's your neighbor. We're supposed to go love everybody. Back to Joshua 23, please. We've got to finish this up here. Ten minutes left. He sums it up, though, in verse 11. Just love the Lord your God. Now, it'd be great if we could just stop right there. Wouldn't that be just a great farewell message? God did it all. God will do it again. God's promises never fail. Be in the word. Be out of the world. You're more than a conqueror. And you know what? Just go love God. Okay, everybody, put your hands in. High five. Let's go. But the thing is, God is a fair and just God. So part of being fair and just is sin has to be punished. That's fairness. Verse 12. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, that these remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua says, but you know what, guys? If you don't want to focus on the Lord, you can't ask for his blessing. And that's still the truth today. We want to live our lives the way we want to live it. And we want God to bless it. God cannot bless something he's not in. He can't. If you are not giving your life to him, how can you expect his blessing to be upon you? He, he blesses those that are serving and loving him. Now, what do I mean by bless? Please understand the word bless. I'm not talking financial blessing. I'm not talking necessarily health blessing. I'm not talking those type of things because that's the problem. People hear the word blessing and say, okay, I want the money. What do you want me to do, Lord? Sometimes the blessing is peace of mind. Sometimes the blessing is a calmness in the midst of the storm. Sometimes the blessing is just that group of the body of Christ that you know they're there for me as my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Please be careful when you start thinking of being blessed. Don't let your mind just always go to materialism and health and wealth. God says, nation of Israel, I will bless you and take care of you as long as you put me first. And I just see so many people that are Christian in name only that don't put the Lord first. And they wonder why they don't feel like they're blessed. Because God says right here, if you're going to return to the junk, verse 12, if indeed you do go back, I'm not with you. There's a great passage in Proverbs 26, 11, and it's then repeated again in Peter, where it says, just as the dog returns to the vomit, so does the fool to his folly. That's a powerful verse. I mean, that's one of those visual verses, Right? Like, don't type that in and then click images, okay? You don't want to see that. You all know what I'm talking about. You, If you have a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's gross. That's the point. It is supposed to disgust you to the point of saying, I don't want to see it. And in fact, James, I got the visual. Now we can be done talking about it, right? The point, though, is this. 
that image gets burned into you. And God says, I want you to get that image in your mind the next time you choose to go back to your folly of sin. I've used this joke before. I've seen people start dating somebody and it's not a good relationship. It's not God glorifying. It's not of the Lord. It's just not good. It's unequally yoked. And so they start dating and they're so excited that they met him and he's great. He's wonderful. And I would say, oh, great. Amen. Is he a Christian? Well, no, but he's willing to come to church with me. Okay, well, why don't you wait till he's saved, grounded, on fire, and then come back and reevaluate. And sometimes they do. And then I'll talk to them a little bit later and they'll like, and they're kind of sheepish about it. Oh, I'm back with him again. Oh, did he get saved? Well, no, but we kind of talked it through. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you're dating vomit again. You went back to the vomit. There's, there'll be a sin that we struggle with. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sins that I struggle with. I'll pick on me so that we don't think I'm picking on you. And there's things that there's moments of victory in, and then my flesh says, go back to it. And God wants to remind me, James, go back to the vomit. Go back, James. Eat that vomit one more time. I know, it's gross. That's the point of the verse. The problem is we don't have a holy hatred of sin. We don't. If we would have a holy hatred of sin and look at it as vomit and think of every time I want to partake of it, it's eating it. God, it it would hopefully change the way we think. It would change the way we think. And this is what Joshua is trying to tell them, verse 12. Why do you want to go back? You want to go back to their gods? You want to go back to that idolatry? If you want to go back, verse 13, know for certain... The Lord your God will no longer draw about these nations before you. They won't. God says, I'm not going to do it. And then he reminds him, verse 14, which we already read, Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing that has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass, for not one of them has failed. He says, why would you go back when God has not failed once? Verse 15. Therefore it shall come to pass that as the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, the blessings, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he's destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Basically he says this, you want to accept God's blessings, then you also need to accept God's judgment. You want to accept God's blessings, you've got to accept God's discipline. Verse 16, when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Now, I've got to be honest. I don't see those verses, and I don't see a harshness there. I see a fairness. That's fair. Okay, God, you're saying to them, Israel, that that relationship is, if we obey you, you'll take care of us. But as soon as we decide to go back... Your hand of protection's off us. That's a fair trade. Now, does that happen in the New Testament? Go with me to Galatians, please. That's what we'll finish with, Galatians 6. Let's read the wording of this in the New Testament. I'll have people come up to me and their life is falling apart. And one of the things I'll ask them is, how are you doing spiritually? And they'll say, not good. Not good at all. I'm not in the Word. I'm not in prayer. I'm not in church. I'm not. And I'll say, so if you're not investing into the Lord, how do you expect Him to be with you? Now, He's there. The Bible says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I don't want to make it sound like God's giving up because nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8. But I'm talking about a relationship here. 
If I go up to my wife, Dawn, and yell at her, scream at her, pound the wall, put a hole in it, whatever, then 30 seconds later come back and say, hey, time for smoochie. No, she ain't going for that, folks. I'm telling you that right now. There's a break in the relationship. She still loves me. I still love her. I told you this before. I remember one time distinctly Dawn saying, I love you, but right now I don't like you. That's honesty. There's times where God looks at me and says, James, I love you. You're my child, but I don't like what you're doing. Israel, Joshua 23, you're my people, but I don't like what you're doing. What's it look like in the New Testament? Take a look here at Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. How simple is that? I've told you before, if I'm in prayer, if I'm in the Word, and I'm in ministry, and I'm in service, things just go better. I'm not saying I don't get flat tires. Just had one last week. I'm not saying I don't get sick. I'm not saying I don't have bad days. I'm saying there is an eternal difference of a mindset and a heart where things just go better. I'm not focusing on this world, as Colossians says, but I've got my mind set on heavenly things. But if I, to the flesh, if I feed the flesh, man, I'm going to get worked up. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get easily offended. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to be bothered. Because that's what I'm investing in. Whatever I invest in is where the rate of return comes. I want to invest in God. And I'm just encouraging, if you're here tonight and you're kind of like saying, I don't got this relationship. I don't got this, this closeness, this peace. Just asking you, are you investing in your walk with the Lord? If you're not investing in your walk with the Lord, why do you think there will be the peace that surpasses all understanding? Because it's not there. Remember what it says in Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good, which is true, to those that love him, that are called according to his purposes. God promises good to those that say, Lord, you're mine. I'm his. And there's moments where I'm not doing a real good job at it. And I'm thankful for his love, thankful for his grace, thankful for his mercy. But what I see here in Joshua 23 and I see here in Galatians 6, the Lord is also saying, James, if you love me, invest in me. And that's where the real blessings will come. And that's what I want to encourage you with here. So that's Joshua's message, it looks like, to the leadership. Invest in God. Next week in Joshua 24, we'll get his message to the people. Hey, it's 8 o'clock here. Um, any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up with a word of prayer to let you guys go? Nope. All right, would you guys stay in with me then so we can pray? Lord, you are good and you do good. You are grace and mercy and love. Lord, thank you for just loving us even when we're a mess. Thank you for being a God of second chances and third chances. Lord, as it is so simply said tonight, we're supposed to love you. Help us to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Lord, we just want to live it. Not just talk about it, but live it. And for the back-to-school giveaway for the people that are going to be coming through this church tomorrow and Friday, that may they know the love of Jesus, may they know the grace and mercy of you. And Lord, help us to go out and live it. Thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.